everybody. Welcome back to the Strike Zone Podcast. I'm Ted Keith. I'm Steve Canella. Steve, lots to get to on the podcast today. The final week of the regular season is here. There are exactly zero division races up for grabs, <laughs> which, while not making for exciting baseball, gives us a chance to break down what each of those six teams should be thinking about as they get ready for the playoffs. These teams are uh, getting themselves aligning their rotations, as they say. We're going to try to break down those rotations and figure out who's scary and who's not, and um, who will make the Cubs win in uh, four or five or seven games. Exactly. And uh, we'll have that as well as uh, some thoughts on the Jose Fernandez tragedy um, and uh, what that uh, might mean actually from a baseball perspective. So please enjoy the Strike Zone podcast, which starts right now. Everybody, welcome to the Strike Zone Podcast. I'm Ted Keith. I'm Steve Canella. Steve, it's so real right now. <laughs> I can't even wrap my head around how. What do we have? This. Four games, four days left in the regular season. Four days left. As we sit and here, zero division races to get excited. There's about. There's really nothing to watch in the next four days, is there? Only if, if you like to see a crash of teams all like, you know, vying to get into a. Uh, a one-game playoff that they... You know what you know, I enjoy? I tell I, I love nothing more than watching teams align their rotations as they get ready for the first week of October, which is what we're going to be doing most of the way here with these division winners. Yes, the wild card races, as we sit here, the Mets are probably going to be in. Okay, well then, who uh, would let's say, who would you pick for some of these starting game one options for these teams that we know are, are postseason bound? I mean, we could start even with the Cubs if you want because we've known they were going to the postseason for a while. And they're actually kind of an interesting case because Kyle Hendricks uh, is a borderline Cy Young candidate. Maybe not even borderline, actually. Yeah. And John Lester has had a spectacular season, especially by traditional metrics. And that doesn't even include Jake Arrieta, who, though not as dominant as last year, is putting up a season that most people would kill for. So if you're Joe Madden, and this is irrespective of whether managers have actually announced or when they announced, we're just saying who we would go with uh, for that top spot. So who would you go you with? You cannot go Chicago wrong there, Cubs? can you? No, you um, can't. You could if you picked, uh, you know, Hector Rondon or something. That might not be the right idea. I think uh, I think I would think about John Lester. Okay. And part of it might depend on who they end up facing in that. Uh, Whoever comes out of the wild card game, who is which is the team the Cubs are going to face in that division series. Um, so you may want to base that based on who matches up best, but just based on um, a combination of the way they've pitched this year and postseason track record, it seems like John Lester's got to be your game one starter. Based on what he's done in the past, he's the guy yeah. you want pitching twice in that series probably. Right? Yeah, that's probably as much about it, right, is that it's not just game one, but it's it's a game five starter two for them. And then the other option, of course, for game two is not only could your game two starter go on uh, a game five if you needed him to, but then he would be lined up to start uh, game one of the next series. So really, right. if you're being optimistic, you're looking at, 1A, 1B for guys to start a pair of game ones. So I'll say, you know, I, I don't disagree with Lester at all. I think that's a perfectly legitimate choice. I do think it's interesting that Kyle Hendricks could finish the year with an ERA below two and not start game one of the playoff series. And when is the last time that's happened with a team? Uh, maybe last year, did Zach Ranky start game one? I maybe, think he did. Maybe 1908. I don't know. Um, no, you're right. But look, Joe Madden can't go wrong here. He's got, uh, he's got a, Got a bevy of options, but... Um, and by the way, Kershaw did start game one last year, even though um, Zach Greinke had like a so 1.2 So it hasn't happened ERA. in almost 11 months. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's been that long. 
But Kershaw's ERA was really good last no, year too. It's not another, like he was. That's another Zach Greinke. It was just you know flip a coin decision. Two point one three. Um, yeah, I think it may boil down to matchups. Do you want lefties or righties? Yeah. You know, uh, uh, based on the team you're going to face. Um, I just think the most interesting thing is given what his given the guy we were talking about in that rotation this time last year and um, the idea that Jake Arrieta is not. May almost not in the conversation to start game one is is, is kind of interesting. Yeah, but. I agree. Absolutely. Um, speaking of aces not in the mix for game one, if you go over to the Washington Nationals, Steven Strasburg will not be pitching game one or game two or game three. Suddenly this Cubs, or... Cubs World Series road is looking a lot easier than yeah, well, uh, we I, thought it might. I, I, we don't want to jinx it. Look, if the Cubs, months... although I will say if the Cubs were going to be jinxed, it might be by the guy who got the tattoo saying, Cubs World Series champions and not by two yahoos on a podcast debating uh, the merits of the Washington Nationals. But the Cubs are going to be jinxed. That guy would be you know, way. <laughs> they, they got plenty of jinxes to deal with. That guy's way down on the list. Uh, um, did you just call me a Yahoo? Both of us. Oh, all right. We are two Yahoos. As long as I have company. <laughs> <laughs> You're Yahoo unserious. One of us is Yahoo serious. The other is. Let's start over. <laughs> All right, so Strasburg is out for the division series and potentially for the entire postseason. A month ago, you almost could have argued, you could have made a very legit argument that the Nationals were extremely well-equipped to yes. un unseat the Cubs in, right. a, in, a, in a short series. Right. So now you go with Not Scherzer. Not so anymore. I think that's probably universal, right? Max Scherzer's going to start game one. Yes, and also possibly game two. Game three, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So who four. do you do? what do you do behind him? What are your? What is your best bet for winning... A series when, look, is it Tanner Roark, who I, you know, am impressed with, but limited postseason exposure? Gio Gonzalez, the soft tossing lefty. Uh, is he cra is he crafty? He doesn't get to crafty. He is could he? scatter hits though. <laughs> he could put seven innings and scatter seven hits over seven innings. Um. Yeah, if you're gonna if you make these decisions based on what, you know. The conventional wisdom more and more is not well. This is true in the regular season, but especially in October, stuff matters. You right, know, power pitching matters. Um, then you want to go with Rourke over Gio Gonzalez in, in that situation. It could again. This could be another situation where um, do you feel like the team you're playing with or playing against matches up better or worse against uh, a lefty or a righty? That could be this, this decision that makes you go with either Gio or or, or Rourke. But the the larger point is Dusty Baker suddenly after having what we all thought was one of the deeper rotations in the National League for much of the year. Suddenly he doesn't have a whole lot of options right. after after Scherzer. And um, I, I I was all set to, to, to look at the Nationals as kind of a, a dark horse. A spoiler. National League World Series candidate. Right. And, or as much as a dark horse can be when they've won like 95 games. Compared to right. compared to what everyone's games. expecting from the right. Cubs. Right, the, right. The, uh, the terms of comparison are a little different this year in the National League. But... Um, yeah, I think the Nats are in trouble. Uh, they will most certainly wind up facing the Los Angeles Dodgers, who are going to go with Clayton Kershaw, of course, in Game 1. You talk about a team with injury problems in the starting rotation. The Dodgers all year, the fact that they're, they they probably haven't gotten enough credit for winning the division given the pathetic state of their rotation for so much of the year, especially when Clayton Kershaw was out. But now that he's back and has ramped back up to pitching, you know, Full games, basically. He went seven innings his last time out. Since he's come back, he went three, five, six, and seven uh, in innings pitch and just threw 91, his most since uh, 
since before he got hurt. So I think you pretty safely put him in the uh, game one spot. And then beyond that, Kenta Maeda, I guess, in game two? Uh, yeah. I, maybe they can sign Zach Reiki between yeah. now and the end of the year. Is that possible? Uh, Late trade. Uh, Another team that just doesn't inspire you with its starting staff. And I know we, we keep hearing Tom Verducci keeps writing about how bullpens are going to play a bigger role than ever this postseason, particularly with the Dodgers, who are going to set the record for most pitching changes made. So maybe it won't matter so much for them. Maybe it's more about what Kenley Jansen gives them than what Kenta Maeda gives them. Does that bullpen make you feel real good about things? Not necessarily. I mean, I think Jansen is fine. You know, it, it, let's, let's put it this way. Joe Blanton is pitching better than he has in five years. But if you're relying on Joe Blanton to get you through the postseason, that's probably not a great plan. Maybe the 2006 postseason. But <laughs> not, not the current one. Um, let's go back to the Nats for a minute. Okay. Scherzer. We'll, we'll talk about Cy Young, Cy Young, uh, Cy Young races and things like that later on. But is Max Scherzer your Cy Young winner in the National League? Scherzer or Hendricks? Ooh. That's a tough call. Uh, sure. I'm just looking at Scherzer's numbers. They, um, they're pretty darn good. We'll make your case for Scherzer, and I'll make the case for Kyle Hendricks. Uh, Scherzer, one sixty-two. Uh, no, I'm sorry. That's his actually. That's his, I was going to say that's his batting average against, but it's not. That's his actual batting average. Two eighty-two ERA, eleven point two strikeouts per nine, WHIP under one, um, and just putting numbers aside, he's a guy who every time you know he's pitching that night, you have to watch because there's there's a good chance he's going to throw another exactly, um, or at least go like five innings without giving up a hit, right? Until he, uh, um, until they finally get to him. Kyle Hendricks probably has a slightly better numbers in uh, a few of those categories, but um, Scherzer, well, value, Scherzer will get some of the name recognition so, votes probably. I mean, Yeah, I would say that, well, I mean, he's already won one Cy Young Award and would be trying to join Jim Bunning as pitchers who've won it in both leagues. The, the case for Scherzer is number of outs covered. He's pitched 233 and a third innings pitched, and bats missed. 277 strikeouts, the most in the majors, which is amazing. Hendricks has only pitched 185 innings. That's a huge difference yep. between the two. I mean, you're talking about, what, 38 innings, which is approximately six starts? Yep. More? And, and Scherzer has made... A lot fewer strikeouts. Scherzer has made 33 starts. Hendricks has made 29 starts. The 1.99 ERA is great for Hendricks, leads the league. 2.82, that's another big difference. But the whip is in the favor of Scherzer, not by much, but they're both under one. Scherzer leads in strikeouts per walk. He's way better in Ks per nine, uh, hits per nine, uh, slight edge to Scherzer. So I guess I would have to say Max Scherzer. All right, we settled it. That's two things that you've won so far this Now we don't have to talk about it in, uh, in a few weeks. All right. Do you want to talk about Gary Sanchez again? The American League Rookie of the Year. Jeez. Oh, okay, that was last week. Has he homered yet today? <laughs> he will. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, over to the. All right, so let's. We've laid out very sketchily the rotation, the mm-hmm. what what's to like and not like in these rotations. Is there any one of those teams that the Cubs are saying to themselves, "Gosh, I hope we don't have to face them in the." Uh, no. Let's just assume the Cubs are going to win. The NLDS. So, right. is there anyone they don't want to face in the in the in the NLCS? The Nationals, I think, would be their biggest problem because, at least for Scherzer, if he pitches twice, um, 
he's reminiscent of the, the kind of guys that the Mets had last year that totally shut the Cubs down. I know they have a slightly different lineup. Zobrist right. is in the lineup now. Hayward, although that doesn't help them much. Um, and Addison Russell has a more advanced game. Even Chris Bryant does too, for that matter. But power pitching, there's no more powerful pitcher in baseball than Max Scherzer. So I would, the ability to try and avoid him twice uh, in a series, you know, you don't want to face Clayton Kershaw either, but for whatever reason, Kershaw, maybe it's because he gets tired toward the end of years. When he's gotten to the league championship series, he has not at all been the same pitcher that he's been uh, at other times in his career, especially in the postseason. So I, I'm not saying that I would rather have Scherzer than Kershaw in the playoffs, but if you're the Cubs, I wonder if that just sort of bothers you more than uh, and the other thing you have, facing Clayton The other thing Kershaw. you look at is if, if assuming the Cubs will pitch the way we, we think they will. Um, which one of those lineups scares you? I know, like the Nationals are fourth in the National League and runs scored, mm-hmm. but that doesn't feel like the lineup that was that that, that got them largely that number yeah. for the first couple of years. Harper seems like a shell of what he what he usually is. Daniel Murphy got a little some injury problems now. Um, I just don't know that there are a whole lot of scary bats in that Nationals lineup right now either, especially when you're facing the best the best uh, the best rotation in, in in the National League. Yeah, um, good point. So basically, we've just handed the National League to the Cubs. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Let's just fast forward to October 22nd. Or but who league? will they play, Steve? Because over in the American League, it's uh, very closely packed among the three division winners in the race for home fields. So we'll start with the Red Sox, who have officially wrapped up the American League East, the happiest team you've ever seen to lose on a walk-off Grand Slam. That was so the bizarre. Boston Red that Sox. was the most bizarre scene I've ever <laughs> would you, By the way, if you're Mark Teixeira, would you just retire right now? Well, he said, actually, game. that was his quote after the game. He said, I think he said, that's my last major league home run or something. He said, like I that. hope it is. But, like, what if he just says, I'm not playing again? Like, that's too good a way that's to what go I was, out. That's why I was easy trying to say, I can't top that. I'm not. I'm taking the rest of the week off. Or does he somehow know that he's going to go into a mini slump? And uh, Or for him, just play like normal. And, yeah. I wonder if he hits one out today by accident. Like, will he miss a base on purpose just so he can go say, no, 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 my last home run was a walk-off A walk-off Grand Slam. That's pretty cool. But uh, I did enjoy the the um, – I happened to be watching that game. Ball clears the fence. The mm-hmm. shares rounding the bases. Yankees are doing their Gator, uh, Gatorade bath thing at home plate, dousing to share. Everyone's happy. Mm-hmm. Red Sox are walking off the field trying their best to look sad. It was good. Yeah. As they high fived and hugged in the dugout, so, but they they kind of had these sort of lukewarm high fives yeah. and very you know, very uh, non exuberant hugging in the in the dugout, and then uh, they get down the tunnel and there's yep. champagne flying everywhere. But uh, it was it was uh, I thought they did there's some good acting there. There's a great sh- you got to find the Pedroia. I was going to say Pedroia the, the, was the, the one. The that cameras came caught Pedroia shrugging as he walked into the dugout, which was uh, it was that was priceless. Nice, um, but. That result, notwithstanding, points to uh, or, or as little as that result mattered, and I would argue they have reason to be sad because that result was huge. That that loss essentially handed home field in the American League to the Rangers. I think the Red Sox are, I think, as we sit here, a game and a half behind the Rangers now for for right. the, for first place and home field throughout the American League playoffs. So it's going to be if Texas wins one more game. Well, it's gonna yeah, be hard I mean, for them only make it one up. game in the loss column. But, but yeah, also, I mean, that's the one that, that made the difference between being tied and being... It points out um, the other big, the other one other big, um, one of the many question marks to the Red Sox, but Craig Kimbrell. Yeah. Uh, as good as his stuff is, as as 
as uh, as dominating as he can look sometimes. He can be a little scary, and his inability last night to throw a strike with his fastball at all was um, that's problematic. If 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 you're John Farrell, and uh, there's another great scene where Farrell goes to take Kimbrel out after facing four batters, I think, not getting an out, uh, walking three guys. And Kimbrel was pissed off that Farrell was coming to take him out of the game. Yeah. Red Sox still had a chance to win it at that point. It was, I think it was 3-1. to one. Um, Well, you can understand that. I mean, he's he was, you know, anyway, for many years, the best closer in baseball. Well, that was probably two batters more rope than Kimbrel was going to expect yeah, this time next true. week. That's true. Um, or, but Joe Kelly not exactly exciting everybody by giving up a walk-off grand slam. No. If that's your best backup option, then... no. Um, uh, but yeah, the declining numbers of Craig Kimbrell are really something the last couple of years. And it's 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 no it's no small thing. His 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 numbers are especially shaky. This is always this is a topic for another podcast. But he's extremely shaky in non quote unquote non save situations, which last night was a save situation. But you could argue the game yeah. didn't matter because everyone knew the the Blue Jays had lost. Um, there are going to be times in October where. John Farrell's going to have to go to his closer to protect a tie game in the eighth right. or to protect a tie game in the ninth, something like that. If Kimbrell's going to be the kind of guy who, who can't function in those situations because there's not a save on the line, right. that could, that's, uh, it could be Boston's undoing. True. So could their starting rotation, by the way. Uh, who would you pick game one? I was looking at the numbers here a second ago. One of their top two pitchers has an ERA of about five and a half, and the other has a... Uh, there's a division series ERA of five and a half. Uh, I would go. Por- Neither of those men is Pedro Martinez. I would go Porcello in game one. Really? Yeah. Not the guy that they paid two hundred million dollars for for exactly a start like that. I think you got it. You can't go with what the theory was when they signed somebody uh, twelve months ago. You but again, this is the game one go and game pitch, five theory. Who's pitching best now? And okay. Well, this is. I mean. Which is not to say David David Price has been he's been good in the second half. He's he his first half was by all means or by all measures terrible. Okay. Much better in the second half than he was in the first half. Still, not what we're Rick Porcello has been the the unquestioned number one of that staff. Okay, it does help that there's an off day. Porcello's um, never won in the postseason either, has he? Uh, has he ever won in the postseason? No, I don't think so. Well, I can double check, but you know, price is one, but they've been right. relief appearances. They but the way started. the postseason schedule sets up, you could start uh, on game five after starting game two. So depending on how whatever John Farrell decides, however they do in games one and two, if there is a game five, he would have a choice. You know, he wouldn't necessarily just have to come back with his game one starter. Right. So that's helpful for them. Porcello. Okay, I'll say Price because I still want that kind of. Just experience to be, success. Just, just to be different. That's always worked for me before, Steve. That experience and success uh, in October, you mean? He's had some. More than Rick Porcello. Uh, Maybe Stephen Wright. <laughs> Stephen Wright. Still shaking off that base running injury. <laughs> the good news for the Cleveland Indians is they don't have any starting pitchers left. True. So they don't have to start well, anybody. They're sort of the they're they're the American League Nationals to me. They, yeah. A month ago, we thought with that rotation, especially that they here's a team that can sneak its way into the World Series. Um, not so now. Oh well, I mean, without Carlos Carrasco or Danny Salazar, you know, or not knowing what you're going to get from 
essentially any of the guys in your starting rotation outside of Corey Kluber. Um, so who Charlie Nagy is their first game starter? Do you think? <laughs> I think Bob Feller. <laughs> Bob Feller could come out right now and go the distance. I was talking about this the other day with um, uh, resident uh, in-house Indians supporter Mark Bechtel, uh, friend of the Strike Zone podcast. Jarrett Wright, yeah, still is uh, still younger than uh, R. A. Dickey. No way. Well, he will always be younger than R. A. Dickey, but uh, that's funny. He, if he could come out of retirement now and uh, start for the Indians or any other team and be younger than Ari Dickey. Wow. That's amazing. I wonder if he could throw a knuckleball. I really uh, had a uh, – that's, boy, that's something. I kind of wrapped my head around that. It's been a long time since Jarrett, right? It was uh, 1997? Yeah, well, 97, was he was his, a big uh, part of that uh, pennant-winning Indians team. Yep. And then he was their game one starter in uh, 98, at least in the uh, – in the league championship series, I know. Uh, but yeah, I don't know what the Indians do. If Kluber, Carrasco, and Salazar are compromised all the way up to completely unavailable, I'm not sure exactly what Terry Francona does, but that's a team that doesn't inspire anybody going to the postseason if they don't have starting pitchers. And again, I, their bullpen is actually one of the best in baseball. So if they, if they sort of get to um, you know the back end of that rotation, especially if Cody Allen and... Andrew Miller and Brian Shaw, you know, can those guys pitch an inning each for four games in a series if they had to? Yeah. I guess so. They can. I mean, that you're not going to get 18 outs out of your starting pitcher. Can you live if you only get 12 outs out of your starting pitcher? Indians are one in team. Series? They're one team that can. And that's. That may be what it takes for Trying them. to remember a team in recent years that has taken a formula like that and had some success yeah. in October. Has that, has that happened before? It has. Yes. I've heard of it. Um, that, was like the, it. that was the new – that's the new model. Just build a yeah, – be the Royals. Just build a bullpen. That's all you got to do. Remember the Giants did it too. Before Bumgarner came in in that Game 7 of the World Series. I mean, in fact, that entire postseason. It's nice to have a Game 7 in which the starting pitchers combined for like four innings. Yeah. Which is what we had that year, two years ago in 2014. Yeah. Uh, all right, well, last up is the Texas Rangers. I think we can all agree that there's only one choice for them in the starting rotation, and that's Rick Helling. <laughs> <laughs> he might also be younger than R.A. Dickey. Uh, Cole Hamels, come Cole on down. Hamels, you, it's going to be the Cole Hamels show. Um, A lot of question marks for them after that, too, by the way, but Cole Hamels, universal. Uh, you Darvish? Uh, maybe... I guess. Cal- so you're saying Hamill's in all five games? <laughs> uh, I'd be okay with you, uh, Darvish, as a. I mean, he's made exactly 16 starts this year, but sure, I, I'll take a chance on a guy who strikes out 11 batters per nine innings. Could do worse. Um, yeah, the rest of pinpoint that, control. Rest of that crew does not uh, does not really scare you in a postseason sense martin martin, martin perez um you know colby lewis is colby he? lewis ag griffin there, there's a whole the ghost of colby yeah. lewis um rangers are going to be the team that has to slug their way into october they're fully capable they're I, I cannot get over by the way their pythagorean record i've been looking at this for a couple of weeks now their pythagorean record this is amazing I, i've never seen anything like this is 81 and 78 yeah their actual record is 94 and 65. 
They are essentially a 500 team masquerading as a club 30 games over 500. I wonder what the greatest differential has been. Yeah. If we had done some research before this, we uh, we might have that finger that information at our fingertips. I'm blaming our research staff for that. Those shouldn't, two mice over there in the corner. Should not have given them the year off. <laughs> uh, yeah, the Rangers are a very, very, very strange team. I don't think they're that good. Well, they're not a. They're don't be fooled. They are not a ninety-five win team. That much we know. No. Um, By the way, do you want to take a guess at how many home runs Rugned Odor has hit? He's got. Uh, he's got at least thirty. Yeah, thirty-two. The same as Adrian Beltre. Better. Ch- uh, is there a better chance that Rugned Odor hits more than three home runs in this postseason, or that he gets into a fight with somebody? What do you think? They could still play the Fight, Blue, because they, they might play the Blue Jays. They could still play the Blue Jays, yeah. Actually, of all the postseason matchups, that's the one I'm probably rooting for the most. I'd like to see a rematch there. Yeah. Um, um, that would be good. That would be good. We should do that. that sh- maybe we should We should, We should. should reenact that game, uh, that epic game that they played last year. We, that should be a podcast down the road. We should sure. just go replay that game inning for inning. I would. Batter by better. I would be glad to do that. I mean, not actually reenact. Not you and I playing. I'm going to bring a bat and flip it, but... <laughs> Nobody will nobody will see it. Um, all right, so before we wrap up this edition of the podcast, we will uh, make mention, obviously, of the terrible tragedy that happened in baseball last weekend. Marlins pitcher Jose Fernandez, of course, died uh, in a boating accident in Miami on uh, early Sunday morning, 24 years old, a terrible tragedy. There's not a lot to say about this uh, other than it's a shame when – uh, I mean, first and foremost, it's a shame that a human being at age 24 died right. and someone who was about to become a father. That That is all that needs to be said. But from a baseball standpoint, it's especially tragic to see a guy who was so entertaining and so good uh, and had such an interesting future, not just a bright future, but he could have been, um, you know, I hope this doesn't sound crass, but he could have been the building block for a, a legitimate Marlins championship run, a return to relevancy for them. He could have been a fascinating trade piece to help rebuild another team's uh, rotational foundation. He could have been... You think there would have been teams lining uh, up to sign him when he had free Exactly. Free I was going to say, he could have been the, the, the highest paid free agent pitcher of all time. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's a terrible blow. Yeah, it's... For the Marlins in particular, I mean, again, putting aside all the normal human stuff, mm-hmm. just in baseball terms, um, the Marlins, as we know, are a franchise that need all the help they can get in terms of gaining a following, gaining traction in their own market. Um, and he was one guy who had helped and, th- in theory, was going to continue to help them do that as given his given his background as a, as a Cuban-American, um, given his personality. And, and, you know, we all know the way the Marlins fight for or struggle to attract fans, but the one the few occasions which they didn't really struggle that much was when Jose Fernandez was pitching uh pitching at at uh at, at home and but it's a shame for for baseball in general and that we you know baseball needs more people like right. more figures like Jose Fernandez we've talked a lot about this in various uh we've touched on it in various ways but not just as as one of the best pitchers in the game and as as someone who was extremely uh, talented and extremely fun to watch in a baseball sense. That personality is what what the game needs Absolutely. needs more of. And um, and that that I mean, he was sort of the tipping point. I think of that conversation because people understood that it wasn't 
he was never trying to show people up. That's just genuinely who he was. He, I mean, that gif of him celebrating a Giancarlo Stanton home run is maybe my single right. favorite right. gif of all time in any context. And um, I think it was Ken Rosenthal. I could be wrong about this, but I think it was Ken Rosenthal who had a idea that he shared on Twitter to have a spirit award mm-hmm. named after Jose Fernandez. I thought that was a very yeah, interesting a idea. idea. Yeah, And also it, it sort of, in a horrible, horrible way, and you wish that we could be reminded of this for reasons other than the the loss of of someone like Jose Fernandez. It was a reminder of, you know, how tight-knit the the larger baseball community is. And it was, you know, the, this was something that, you know, 29 other teams, you know, as far away or as close to Miami as you can possibly get. Um, This was something that really on Sunday and Monday rippled, rippled around the game very quickly. And it's, it's a testament, not just to, Fernandez himself and the power of personality and how well liked he was, but also a testament to just the baseball community as, you know, this is, a, you know, they're on opposite teams. They're competing. They may throw at each other's heads once in a while, but by and large, this is this is a pretty tight-knit brotherhood and a very select group of human beings that gets to play this game. And um, when something like this, hap- like this happens, um, it has an effect uh, yeah. far and wide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, amazing. And uh, play of the year so far, the D. Gordon home run. Uh, wish it didn't have to happen. Wish it didn't have to be so uh, remarkable that D. Gordon would hit a home run. But uh, under those circumstances, the way he did it, starting the bat in the right-handed batter's box and hitting his first home run of the year into the second deck, two pitches after going back to the left side was amazing. And that will yeah. be the, the Major League Baseball play of the year. Uh, for me for 2016. So uh, RIP Jose Fernandez, and uh, we'll uh, get back to full-blown baseball with our next edition of the podcast uh, when the postseason starts. It's about to get real, Ted. (laughs) It is is about to get real. Really real. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. Uh, The postseason will have begun or be just about to begin when we we speak to you next. So until then, I'm Steve Canella. I'm Ted Keith. Oh, uh, yeah, you can find us on uh, iTunes, on si.com slash podcasts. And uh, you can reach Steve at... Uh, at Steve underscore Canella. And I am at SI underscore Ted Keith. And, uh, Ted, you didn't say that with much conviction. I couldn't remember what it was. I don't tweet very often. There you go. At SI underscore Ted Keith. John Taylor, our producer, uh, does a great job, is at... Uh, J.A. Taylor. So find all of us and check out all the Sports Illustrated podcasts, including the new MMQB podcast with Peter King by going to si.com slash podcasts. Listen up. You will be be entertained. You will be informed and entertained. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. So long.